0: music mm-hmm. Mackenzie Lambert here, your host for Mac in the Movies, where I look at everything from art house to grind house. This episode will be a change of pace. Instead of a movie, I'll be looking at the cult classic TV series, Cold Jack the Night Stalker, starring Darren McGavin and Simon Oakland. Plus, there will be a new installment of What a Year. John and I will share our top 10 movies from the year 1995. Also, I have a new giveaway from the kind folks at Paramount Pictures. For Cole Jack and the Night Stalker, I wanted to share my top five episodes and some honorable mentions. Before we look at the episodes, let's have some background on the show itself. Cole Jack and the Night Stalker originated as two made for TV movies, The Night Stalker and The Night Strangler, for the ABC Movie of the Week. You can learn more about those films on episode 53, which covered a number of the ABC Movies of the Week. Both were huge draws for the network that ABC greenlit a TV series, but producer-director Dan Curtis didn't partake in the transition. Darren McGavin returned as the show lead and was executive producer. Set in Chicago, the series was filmed in Los Angeles. Also returning was Simon Oakland to reprise the role of editor Antonio Vincenzo. Both are in the employ of the Chicago branch of the Independent News Service. Joining McGavin in Oakland were Jack Greenidge, Ruth McDevitt, and Carol and Susie. Jack Greenidge of A Rebel Without a Cause donned the role of Ron Updike, a pompous, squeamish colleague to Cole Jack. McDevitt played Emily Cowles, writer of the Crossword Puzzles and the Advice column. She can be seen in Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds and The Parent Trap. Susie, playing Monique, appeared in My Blue Heaven and Death Becomes Her. The latter credit reunited her with Robert Zemeckis, who co-wrote one of the episodes of *Coljack the Night Stalker. The series was a Monster of the Week program, showcasing a new creature that was terrorizing Kolchak for an hour. Yet, this was not the approach McGavin wanted. He wanted reoccurring elements similar to the UFO main thread of the X-Files. That was the main shortcoming of the series was the lack of explanation as to why this phenomena was happening primarily in Chicago. Also, the titles of the episodes often spoil the monster that will be featured. If they didn't tell us the monster we'd see, there could be some mystery to the proceedings of the episode. Sadly, the show was canceled after one season. Ratings were low and didn't justify a second season. However, the show has gone on to become a cult classic. I seek the opinions of horror fans on social media uh, about the, their feelings and thoughts on the show Cold Jack the Night Stalker. Overall, the consensus was that *Coljack the Night Stalker* was a series ahead of its time. The chemistry between McGavin and Oakland carried the show for many. There were plenty of supporting talents to keep TV fans of all ages interested. One person felt the show was overrated, but hey, they're right to their opinion. Thanks to everyone who chimed in: uh, John Cleveland, Rod Durick, Mike Deserto, Lee Hunt, Mike Lutters, Kyle Kazmerzik, Amy James, Miss Smart Seventeen. Friend of the show and author of Score to Death, J. Blake Veshera. Horror Queen, Emma of the Impact. Conal Bane, Eric Harris. John Grant of Horror, Bad Figures, Pitcha Fett. Marty Weiss, Marconi Cliché. Dick Durban Doomcock and Bluebonnet Huvian. Oh, and there will be no discussion of the 2005 reboot starring Stuart Townsend. What should have been a straight horror series was a political soapbox about reporters keeping their sources a secret. At the t- uh, This is the time when CIA agent Valerie Plame Wilson was exposed by journalist Robert Novak at the behest of Carl Rove. That immediately turned me off to the series, and it was canceled before the series even finished. Before we get to my top five, here are my three honorable mentions. Honorable mention number one, Chopper, episode 15. A headless biker is terrorizing the people responsible for his death. A pretty straightforward episode. The look of the headless biker leaves much to be desired. I mean, with some clever cinematography, one would not have to need to use such a dated method to imply a headless person. Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale wrote the episode before they collaborated on the Back to the Future trilogy. Featured in this episode is MASH regular Larry Linville as Police Captain Jonas, and Jim Backus in a guest appearance. Backus being best known as the voice of Mr. Magoo. Linville was an interesting casting choice since he was in the original Night Stalker TV movie. In the TV movie, he played McGurk, the coroner of the first known victim of Janos Skorzeny. This illustrates another flaw of the show, the lack of continuity between the TV movies and the series. A severe missed opportunity. Honorable mention number two Firefall, episode number six. Frankie Markoff, an arsonist for hire, was murdered in a mob hit. His funeral procession was cut off by conductor Ryder Bond. Now the spirit of Markoff is using Bond as a patsy to commit murders against those close to Bond essentially framing him. With Koljak interfering, the spirit of Markov soon targets him as well. I like the concept of this episode, which has a Nightmare on Elm Street vibe, with the presence of fire and how one is vulnerable when in a state of sleep. The execution leaves much to be desired, but there was strong potential in this episode. And lastly, honorable mention number three, The Ripper, episode one. A murderer is terrorizing the Midwest, eventually making their way to Chicago. Victims were mainly women. The killer is mimicking the tactics of the original Ripper of the 1880s in England, but Coljack suspects this is the actual Ripper, an immortal. Of all the episodes, this is one that comes closest to recreating the Night Stalker and the Night Strangler. I'm sure this was absolutely intentional. The music even recreates some of the music cues by Bob Cobert. There are plenty of shootouts and fights that recall similar scenes in the Night Stalker. All right, now for the top five. All right, number five, The Werewolf, episode number five. Vincenzo was set to enjoy a cruise vacation until he is called upon by his superiors at INS to stay in Chicago. Vincenzo has no choice but to send Koljak in his place. Koljak is assigned to write a piece on the singles swingers theme of the cruise. Among the passengers is a werewolf who is terrorizing the passengers and the crew. The captain tries to cover up the attacks, Koljack gets information that the werewolf may be a NATO soldier who was attacked while on tour, armed with silver slugs and shotgun shells. Koljack puts his own life on the line to stop the lycanthropic menace. Adding to the tension is the isolation of the ship at sea and the claustrophobia of the ship interiors. The werewolf was an episode that had potential much more so than the honorable mentions, which is why I put it at the bottom of my recommendations. Yet, it makes a number of mistakes. One, the identity of the werewolf is shown too early in the episode. There could have been a mystery element as to who could be the monster, similar to the amicus classic, The Beast Must Die. Two, the makeup effects of the werewolf leave much to be desired. This is not what we would see from the likes of Jack Pierce with the Universal Monsters. The look of the werewolf I would describe as a guy had a wig spirit-gummed to his face. A big consolation is the impressive stunt work. People are thrown all over the place in this episode, tossed overboard, the werewolf zip lines using his hands while evading crew members. Seeing Coljack mingle with the passengers on the ship is amusing, McGavin has a true charm and his scenes with actress Nina Talbot provide some sitcom-esque hijinks. The most recognizable of the guest stars would be Eric Braden as the werewolf. He may be best known for his long tenure on the soap opera, The Young and the Restless. Braden doesn't play the character for sympathy as we saw with Lon Chaney Jr. This is closer to Henry Hall, Werewolf of London, cold, distant, uh, emotionally distant, curse sufferer. The Werewolf is a modest episode that illustrates the magnetism of McGavin as Jack. seeing him mingle with interesting characters. The monster is rough around the edges, but the setting helps fuel some tension. This is one to watch after you have a few under your belt. Number four, The Devil's Platform, episode number seven. Chicago is experiencing a tight senatorial race between incumbent James Talbot and sudden rising star Robert Palmer. Palmer is seen entering an elevator with his campaign manager before the elevator crashes to the basement. Cool Jack is on the scene at the time of the crash. Cool Jack is present when the elevator is uh, pried open with his camera ready. He snaps a picture of a dog in the elevator, the only survivor. The dog runs off, but not before Cool Jack snags a necklace from the neck of the dog. Cool Jack, possessing the necklace, goes about his way. Unknown to him, the dog is following behind. Eventually, the dog gets the necklace back and Robert Palmer reappears. Jack quickly suspects there are otherworldly forces involved and fears that the worst possible evil is aiding Robert Palmer in his political pursuits. The Devil's Platform tells the basic story of a political hopeful engaging in a Faustian deal with the devil. His opposition is wiped out. Threats to his success in his own campaign are eliminated and appear to be accidental. This episode if made today would be an opportunity for low-hanging fruit partisan potshots. To the episode's credit no one is identified as being Democrat or Republican. Just the situation of Palmer is the focus of the episode and that goes a long way. Tom Skerritt is in total control of the scenes he's in as Robert Palmer. Skerritt is captivating as Palmer. He has that quiet delivery, kind of like Jake the Snake Roberts or the original iteration of Bray Wyatt. He's not boisterous or loud. He's calm, quiet, and that makes him even scarier. Another notable guest appearance will be Robert Doquie, who plays a police officer responding to one of the dog attacks. Doquie will be familiar to fans of the RoboCop trilogy, where he played the role of Sergeant Warren Reed. He was also King George in the Pam Greer classic, Coffee. The Devil's Platform tells a familiar story in a relevant manner. Fortunately, this episode doesn't play partisan cheap shots. The p- political ambiguity puts this episode just above the werewolf episode. Number three, Mr. Ring, episode 12. Professor Walker, a renowned scientist, is murdered in his lab. Soon others are attacked. Jack is present when a mysterious man steals materials from a mortuary academy. Coljack also notices military brass at the scene of the incident. Coljack talks with Walker's widow, who name-drops her late husband's co-worker, Dr. Leslie Dwyer. Dwyer brushes him off, but now word comes into Coljack of libraries being broken into. Tapes of audiobooks for the blind are being taken by the mysterious man, who may be connected to a secret government project known as Ring. Mr. Ring is a great episode that dabbles in secret government projects of artificial intelligence, the X-Files stuff that would inspire Chris Carter to create that beloved show. The scene with Ring, Coljack, and Dwyer, where they talk philosophy, is engaging and really one of the best in the entire series. This episode really shows how strong the writing of the series could have been had there been more focus on consequential writing as opposed to creating monsters. A credit to writers L. Ford Neal and John Huth. Craig Baxley gives a great Karloff-esque performance as Mr. Ring. Baxley was a regular stuntman for Cold Jack the Night Stalker. His other credits include Close Encounters of the Third Kind, The Warriors, and Predator. Some of the guest star power features some old-school genre legends. Julie Adams of Creature from the Black Lagoon plays Mrs. Walker. Myron Healy was the go-to tough guy appearing in Westerns, The Unearthly with John Carradine and Tor Johnson. There's also the Over the Hill Gang. Healy plays the military brass that is trying to find Mr. Ring. Mr. Ring is one of the best episodes of Cold Jack the Night Stalker and one of the most underrated in genre television. Much more so than the UFO episode, this one really shows you the impact Cold Jack had on the X-Files. Number two, The Zombie, Episode 2. The members of the Mafia number racket are brutally murdered. Koljak is assigned to the story but has to work with Monique, the daughter of the New York City INS office manager. Koljak and Monique arrive at a police raid that escalates to a shootout. Soon, the shooting ends with more members of the Mafia dead and another body, which the coroner identified as being processed by him the previous week. The body is soon reburied. Koljak tries to partake in the numbers run by the local Black Mafia, but is picked up by Bernard Weldon, head of the Black Mafia. Koljak gets mixed up with the Italian Mafia when he eavesdrops on a meeting. Koljak shares his theory that the killer is stalking mafioso <clears throat> because he himself was a victim of one of their hits. Koljak is taken to the grave and forced to excavate it, only to find the body missing. Suddenly, the Mafia is attacked in the cemetery. The attacker is impervious to any damage done to him. With Koljak involving himself, could he be targeted by whatever force is invigorating the zombie? The zombie is a very straightforward story of revenge from beyond the grave. It follows a simple plot, but has by far the most effective climax scene in the entire series. When Koljak is in the junkyard and finds the zombie, then goes through the pacification ritual only for the zombie to wake up is genuinely terrifying. And what really helps is McGavin selling that terror. Of all the episodes, this one has some notable guest stars. John Fiedler was Gordy the Ghoul, the coroner consulting with Coljack. Fiedler played juror number two in Sidney Lamette's 12 Angry Men. Huggy Bear himself, Antonio Vargas, played Bernard Weldon. Scatman Crothers of The Shining and the voice of Hong Kong Phooey has a small role as the owner of a dark arts shop. The Zombie is an episode that's carried by its climactic sequence. It stands out as some of my favorite moments in horror television, matching that of the original made for tv movies featuring the Cold Jack character. There is also some star-, star power in the guest appearances. And, number one, The Vampire, Episode 4. Outside of Las Vegas, a vampire is accidentally resurrected after a waitress breaks down on the side of the road. The waitress cuts herself, drawing blood, and waking the dormant vampire to life. The waitress gets away, but the site of the vampire's burial is empty. Koljak is assigned to cover a story of a guru visiting Los Angeles, yet his attention is taken by the killings by the vampire, who is using her status as a call girl to find her victims. Stopping Jack at every turn is Police Lieutenant Jack Mateo. With no time to lose, Jack must use some familiar tactics to take down the creature of the night. In no surprise here, the best episode of this series, in my opinion, is the vampire episode. A part of it is my nostalgia for the original Night Stalker TV movie, but also because this episode comes so close to outright referencing that TV movie. That falling short comes off as perplexing because ABC produced both the TV movies and the TV series. So there shouldn't have been an issue whatsoever with connecting both works. I don't know if there was tension between Dan Curtis and Darren McGavin that severed the chances of bridging the two, but it's a big missed opportunity. The only concrete connection is in the last line of Coljack's monologue. The autopsy of the vampire shows the decomposition of the tissue reflecting that of a body that's been dead for three years what was happening three years ago the yano scores murders this is another episode with some great stunt work the scene with the vampire taking out a group of football players really shows she is a force to be reckoned with yano scores was an imposing figure but katherine rollins is an unexpectedly strong the pacing with this one too is faster than usual while the other episodes on this list had obvious slow spots, The Vampire didn't. David Chase's teleplay from Bill Stratton's story matches the energy of Richard Matheson's work for the Night Stalker. William Daniels is the guest star in the role of Lieutenant Mateo. Depending on your age, you'll either know him you'll either know Daniels as the voice of Kit from Night Rider or Mr. Feeney from Boy Meets World. You may even be old enough to remember him as Dustin Hoffman's father in the graduate. If you only wanted to see one episode of the series, then I highly recommend The Vampire, which makes a great triple feature with the Night Stalker and the Night Strangler. William Daniels provides a great foil for McGavin's Coljack. jack. Catherine Rollins is an effective antagonist. The Pazin is different than the other episodes. I can't say any more than I have about this particular episode. This is the one to watch. And that wraps up my top five episodes of Cole Jack the Night Stalker. Let me know what your favorites are on social media or in the comments. Up next is another installment of What a Year with John and myself as we look back at the year 1995. Folks, Mackenzie Lambert here, host for Making the Movies, joined as always by my good friend John Cleveland. Hi, everybody. Uh, this is going to be another installment of What a Year. Uh, this year, we're going to be looking at 1995.
1: Such a good year. Oh, yeah. uh, all I ever heard was how bad of a year for cinema this was. Dude, This after doing the research, and trust me, there are 3,493 <laughs> movies made that year according to IMDb, and I scrolled through all of them. There were a lot of good movies. Mm -hmm. So,
0: Uh, I think 95 just gets a bum year if you're a wrestling fan.
1: (laughs) Oh, why? I wonder (laughs) why. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Kevin Nash. What? No. Just no. (laughs) No, Uh.
0: no. Diesel was better when they kept his mouth shut.
1: Yeah, it's true. He's a heater, not a champion. Yep. All right.
0: All right. So we're going to go ahead and go through uh, some of our honorable mentions and then our top 10 for 1995. And as uh, always, John, you can go ahead and go first.
1: Why, thank you. All right. So I got a bunch of honorable mentions, but I think I can narrow it down just to six because, again, there was a lot of really good movies. All right. So I got to call out uh, The City of Lost Children. Mm. It's just an amazing foreign film. If you've never seen it, I highly suggest. Outbreak, a really topical film. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, Uh, The incredibly impactful and, I think, revolutionary film, Kids. Um, There's uh, Species, which all the uh, kids about our age probably found very, very uh, illuminating. Natasha Uh, Hestridge. Natasha. uh, (laughs) um, Johnny Minotic, which is uh, not an amazing film, I'm going to say, and uh, didn't age (laughs) well because uh, of how the internet actually works. But it's a fun movie. It's got Henry Rollins in it, and I'm a big fan of his. And Keanu Reeves, it's, a, it's kind of a pre-Matrix because it's about mm-hmm. Keanu Reeves and the internet. So <laughs> if, you wanna, if you like The Matrix, check it out. It's worth at least watching. And All then right. my last honorable mention is In the Mouth of Madness, one of the greatest Lovecraftian films ever made. So not, spe-
0: not specifically based on a Lovecraft work. This is John Carpenter just paying respect to Lovecraft mythos.
1: Correct, correct. <laughs> A lot of references, but nothing overt. So, all right. Top 10, number 10, The Nature of the Beast. Eric Roberts, Lance Hendrickson, proving why each of them deserve a lot of more honor and a lot more Oscars than either of them were ever provided in their careers. Um, Just a great, well-written and well-acted film. Um, just uh, phenomenal if you've never seen it from a uh, from an acting standpoint it's just it's just great it's a great story so I know nice. it's a, one not a lot of people have seen before So
0: no I, I haven't seen it and uh, the way you talked it up before we started recording it's definitely
1: now like high up on my watch list I would highly suggest giving it a shot if you like you though those are the actors so um, and moving on though to, oh, go ahead what were you going to say oh no who
0: doesn't like Lance Henriksen or Eric Roberts just because they are often the highlights of the movies they're in
1: they are, and sadly, for just completely opposite reasons nowadays.
0: <laughs> especially Eric Roberts, but anyway. especially
1: Eric Rob- Roberts. But um, all right, it's not the best of the best anymore. I'll tell you that. Um, oh, called out. All right, number nine. I, this was one of those. If you rated, if you were ranking these, my top ten most how how many times I've watched the movie. This would be number one with a bullet. I've seen this movie. I don't know how many times. I watch it almost every year, at least once a year. Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight. Mm, yeah. Billy Zane is a, a national treasure in this movie. He has so much fun. It looks like, to be honest with you, everyone on set was having a lot of fun, but I, I yeah. love me some Tales from the Crypt, and this was s- such a great Tales from the Crypt episode taken to feature length. Oh,
0: yeah, and you've got Chita Zone. own Will Sadler as the, the main hero.
1: Yes, good call. Mm-hmm. That man does not get enough credit for being a Western New Yorker. Oh, no, no. So, all right. Number eight, uh, one of my favorite serial killer movies of all time, which uh, is its own little sh- subgenre for our true crime fans out there. It For anyone who likes true crime, you have to watch this movie. Copycat. Mm, it's got right. Sigourney Weaver in it. And creepy
0: Harry Connick Amazing. Jr., which I never knew I wanted.
1: <laughs> so... It's so creepy. He I didn't know about him as a singer. I didn't know who he was. I saw Copycat when I was a kid mm-hmm. and I'm like oh, one random day I see him singing on TV. I'm like what the wor- why is that guy singing? <laughs> why is that guy, that that guy why is that serial killer from Copycat singing? Spoiler alert. Harry Connick Jr. is a serial killer in this movie. Think about that it's such a it's just such a great film it, great I acting think it got great unfairly storytelling. Overshadowed.
0: yeah i think it got unfairly overshadowed by seven i mean seven was the big movie of its time and i think copycat unfortunately yeah. got lost in the mix
1: i yeah 100 percent. but yeah if you're a love true crime you have to get your it dude you can buy this movie on like amazon for three bucks it's worth mm-hmm. it all right number seven die hard with a Vengeance. I don't do sequels a whole bunch uh, for my top 10 favorite movies. This is worth it. Die Hard with a Vengeance is such a good film. It's, it's only made better by the fact that I found out that it originally wasn't a Die Hard movie. It was supposed to be a Batman movie. <laughs> really? <laughs> yep. It was supposed to be Batman versus the Riddler was the original plan. Hence why he keeps giving him riddles and tasks. <laughs> and then they, they wrote it. The Last Batman uh, didn't do well or well enough to justify a, a, another film. It got shelved for a year or so. And then they basically went, uh, we need to make another Die Hard movie to keep up the film rights. And also, you know, we they they sell well. Let's do it. And they were looking through scripts in Hollywood. This is, I guess, how it goes. You just find if you don't want to write a new script for a movie, you go through your old scripts and see that you've already bought and kind of see how you can rework some things. And, yeah, this was the classic. What if we just added John McClane to this story and then, you know, obviously made it more realistic then? And bam, we got Die Hard with a Vengeance. And I
0: will give credit to Jeremy Irons. I do buy him as being the brother to Hans Gruber. 100%.
1: 100%. I also love that you, you've heard of the Gruber, uh, the Gruber brother thing, right? The voice thing? Uh-uh, no, I haven't. For all ladies in the audience, uh, go ahead and do me a favor. After uh, listening to this, uh, go ahead and type in the comments if you agree with the statement or not. They did a study, uh, a worldwide, I guess, a study of women asking which person had the sexiest voice that they could think of. There was a tie in this study. <laughs> Thousands and thousands of women from all all over the globe were were, uh, asked this question. There was a tie for number one. It was Jeremy Irons and Alan Rickman. So the Gruber (laughs) brothers from the Die Hard series are tied for the greatest voices, most sexy voices of any man, according to women globally. I can imagine
0: uh, Tim Curry is probably in that running as well. I know. He was
1: number four or something like that. I just remember he was, for whatever reason, he was in the top five. I do remember that. Wow. Yep. yep. So, but no, Die Hard, uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance is a great film. It's the film that I think broke Sam Jackson as a major, like you can, he can be a co-lead. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he did it before. It just wasn't ever a blockbuster kind of issue. This was. So yeah, it's my, the only reason I don't like it as much as the original Die Hard is because I think the original Die Hard just edges it out that a little bit much more, but it is so good. So good. Number six, and this I want you to know, folks, too, this list for me was very difficult. Almost any of these movies could, on any given day, could have been number one. This whole list is just, when I wrote this list, this is how I rank them. Number six, Desperado. Oh. Antonio Banderas, Selma Hayek, <sighs> Quentin Tarantino, Roger Rodriguez, <laughs> Danny Trejo, Danny Trejo. I don't, I don't, I could just, these names could just, they don't, I could just say those names. I don't even know to tell you what the movie's about. It's going to be a great fun movie. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's such a good movie. And it made me, I, I, after watching it, I went and found El Mariachi, which is good. That's not nearly as good as Desperado in my mm-hmm. opinion. But like, it's such a good movie and it's so, so fun. And it's it's got that, it's got that mid nineties action appeal, man. What do you want? It's, <laughs> it's way over the top. It's gory. There's the, the shootouts are some of the best in, in for, I want to say some of the best of all time, in my opinion. It's so good. It's almost good. like
0: the Mexican
1: John Woo. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know what? I'm going to go ahead and say that Robert Rodriguez would love the fact that he was compared to John Woo. <laughs> But I, then I think about it, and I'm pretty sure that John Wu would love the fact that he was compared to Robert Rodriguez, too. Mm-hmm. I just think those are men of this, they're made of the same cloth, if you know what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. So, all right. Uh, number five, uh, cut the list in half here. Mm-hmm. My favorite gangster film of all time, Casino. Oof. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I just, say, man, I,
0: Scorsese in the 90s, he was
1: unstoppable. He, he was a, when did he get stoppable again? Oh yeah, it was the two thousands. It was definitely the two thousands. But uh, then he got unstoppable again. The man's the, the man's a treasure. Uh, but no, Casino. I cannot. There's not a. There's nothing wrong with this film. Not a no. not a second of this film is 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 something that I could say needs to be changed in any way. In my opinion, I like this movie better than The Godfather. This movie is fantastic. I think I like it more than Godfather ultimately ignoring that it's a little more uh present it's oh it's much more based in reality than the Godfather is like a based on true events mm-hmm. it's based on and. the founding of the mob's role in Vegas
0: and I don't know whoever was the music supervisor for Sc- Scorsese on this film, but I hope he got a nice fat bonus check just because the bonus. music from beginning to end is just one so great good. song after another.
1: It's so good. Everything again, ev- I, I could write a dissertation about every aspect of this movie and why it couldn't be improved. Why that no point like in, when it was made it in my opinion, nothing you could do. Like, they got the best person to do the music. They got the best person to do this. They got the best person to do that. Everything was at its maximum. And the only reason it's not number five is because I like the other movies a bit more, not because I think they're any worse. Casino is by far the best film on this list. Oh, yeah. All right. Number four. Yeah, very hard. I refuse to have that argument. (laughs) Sorry. So number four. Um, uh, in, this is my least known film uh, of any that I mentioned in this list um, it's it's one I love showing people because it's one of my little hidden gems uh, it's Tom Berenger in Last of the Dogmen it's a super small cast, um, not a huge budget because it didn't need it, it's just a it's really interesting drama basically about the fact that there's a uncontacted Native American tribe still living as if it was the old West, still living, you know that that era, who basically were forced off their land and forced into the the, the deep Ozark Mountains, and have been living like that ever since. And they've been in into contact with the people. Tom Beringer, basically because of a certain event that happens, I'm not going to ruin the whole story. Has to try to go and track down the mountains and see if there's anything to be thing. And obviously, they spoiler that they do find this tribe. And just the concept of it all—it's just—it's one of those stories. It's super unique. Like if I'm like, if somebody told me that, I'm like, I'd read that book. I'd watch that movie. It's just mm-hmm. a really interesting story. Baron Insuring is awesome. I actually, unfortunately, cannot remember the the female lead's um, name off the top of my head, but she's phenomenal. Um, it's just a great movie. If you, I would say it's a great movie to uh, like if you just want a nice Sunday more day. Where you're just, you know, you're chilling at the house and you don't want anything super exciting. You're not, you don't want to see lasers and you don't want to see anything like that. You also don't want to see a bunch of gore or anything. It's just a great drama and it's a great film. Highly suggest it. Really cool. Yeah. Uh, top three. Um, number three is a weird one. If you know me, i um, not a giant fan of anime all in all. I like the, the stuff I like. I don't like anything else. And the stuff I like, you could probably name on two hands. There aren't a lot of anime I love. Number three is my favorite anime of all time with a bullet. Memories. It's an anthology anime. The first two stories are good. The third story is the greatest thing that's ever happened to anime, in my opinion. Hmm. It's so phenomenal. Um... I say that, and I'm, then I'm thinking maybe that was a little too harsh. I also love a couple other animes almost as much, Princess Mononoke, and uh, The Wolf Brigade. But let's here yeah, 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 there. Yeah. Memories. If you get, if you can find it, it's not easy to find. Um, at least when I was looking for it, I remember having to spend a pretty little penny on a DVD of it. It's an anthology anime of three stories. They're they're not per se connected. There are three independent stories. There are three completely different art styles. Each one is good. Wouldn't have made it on the list. That third one, however, is phenomenal. Highly suggest it. And I'm not going to go into the details of it, other than it's a space crew that comes around a derelict ship, and I don't need to go too much more into it. It's phenomenal. Highly suggest it. If you love anime, you've never heard about it, you need to go watch it like a- now. I don't know if it's on Crunchyroll, but find it. It's amazing. All right, top two. Uh, this is another situation where I probably could have put either or, but I, I, I feel like the number one beat this one out just by a sliver. Number two is Heat. Uh,
0: Every time.
1: Greatest, greatest yeah. shoe out of all time on yes, film. Yes, yes. Every time anyone says from this point forward that 1995 did not have good movies, because it's a thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Just, rem- just say the word Heat. Because <laughs> everyone loves Heat. Because it's an yep. amazing movie. Amazing acting. Again, just a lot of the same cast as Casino. But uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> one, at least. All right. So yeah. it's 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 got amazing acting. The, the story is amazing. And yes, that shootout is still probably, probably the best shootout in film history. Mm-hmm. And that's saying something better than The Wild Bunch, better than Desperado, which I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just... So good. Everything from beginning to end of that movie is amazing. Also, the idea of my favorite part of the movie is the playing against type. That Pacino, mostly known for a, being a bad guy, is the mm-hmm. good guy in De Niro. Oops. Even when he's a bad guy, he's the sympathetic good bad guy. He's, he's, a, he's a good the shade guy. of gray. Yes, exactly. He's the good shade of gray. Actually, he's a perfect example of there is no technical good guy and technical bad guy. Even the officer's a little. You know no, he's got his issues, yeah. But like, such good in that scene where they're staring at each other over the cameras, and they're not actually looking at each other, but they're looking at each other. I don't. Mm-hmm. It's so amazing. That's cinematography, and it's it's just that's that's visual storytelling right there. Yep. So, and number one, kind of called that out already. Uh, Mac uh, is, in my opinion, my favorite film of 1995. It's seven
0: oh yeah yeah yes. that, uh, probably probably one of the best American attempts at a giallo uh, for those who don't know giallo is like an Italian slasher murder mystery but yeah it's David Fincher just amazing yeah. job with this
1: film Yeah, it's it's one of the I think you know what I never thought about it that way but you are right you were so right that is the American giallo like that I, if I saw like a mini documentary called seven the American giallo I'd be like yep nailed it perfect <laughs> it's it's Fincher. I'm gonna say it is best. I uh, it's it it's that early. It nailed that 90s aesthetic with somehow not aging itself that way. Like mm-hmm. if you watched it now, it still seem relevant and it would work. It's obviously that grindy stuff, but like every like the cinematography is amazing. Where like all the scenes are, it's raining constantly outside. There's always enclosed by walls. It's very claustrophobic. The use of darkness and shadows. Darkness and shadows. There's no, there's no. Even the the points where like something's happening that you're like, what? Like when he gets the information from the like the the weird guy who's supposed to be in the bag, you're like, but the, when you think about it, that's exactly how that actually would have gone down. Mm-hmm. The juxtaposition of Morgan Freeman character with Brad Pitt's character. The fact that this movie proved to me that Brad Pitt was a phenomenal actor and not just a set of abs.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Just like everything. And I still say like the one of. One of my most quoted lines from any film ever is from Seven. It's it's Morgan Freeman uh, stating that anyone who knows me for long enough finds me disagreeable. I just love that line because it encompasses his incomplete character so well. And then there's a classic,
0: and for everybody else, it's what's in the box. Yeah, I was
1: going to say, and then there's a classic: what's in the box. Like anytime somebody says what's in the box, you know, it's to Paltrow's head. Everyone knows it. <laughs> and if, I'm sorry if that was a spoiler. Like, if you haven't seen seven at this point, something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Like you need to do it. Seven's is one of those iconic films in American like cinema. You just have to have seen it by now. I highly suggest that if you have not seen it, watch this movie. It is masterful storytelling.
0: Oh, And no, I brought the it's seven deadly sins into the American lexicon.
1: Yeah. Like, and, and the other thing, like, I don't know how many times we'll be watching a movie and the opening is just trying to be the seven the opening from seven
0: mhm
1: like those flash cuts of those drawings and like stuff it's just it changed the way s- films at least their openings were shot and you know so i don't know it's just an amazing it's an amazing film and it's one of those where i've i've never watched it and thought it got worse or it got boring or everything and i'm not saying it like it didn't progressively get better it's just always been good and it them was them.
0: the mo- it was the movie to copy from 1995 because I can immediately think of like eight millimeter totally copied seven.
1: Oh yes, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You know what we should do Reca- Remade Seven and cast Nicolas Cage instead of Brad Pitt. <laughs> yeah, that'll work. I wanted it's to like right. eight millimeter. I really did. I don't hate it. I'm I'm going on a tangent here about it. I didn't hate eight millimeter. It just clearly was a knockoff of Seven.
0: Yeah. And it was everybody so. else in that film besides Nicolas Cage that was, for me, like, what made it work. Like, you got Anthony Heald as the sniveling lawyer. You've got James Gandolfini in one of his early film roles. And it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. it, was, it was a movie you saw for everybody else but Nicolas Cage because you knew what Nicolas Cage was going to do.
1: Yep. He was just sadly miscasting that. Mm-hmm. So, but, yeah. But, no, so that's my top ten. How about you, Mac?
0: Uh, you're gonna find a couple. Of, you might find a few similarities on that one. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, for my honorable mentions, first for 1995, I have Babe the Pig, because you know this was I was in s- fifth grade at the
1: time, so yeah, when that movie came out.
0: So I'd like to ap-
1: was- I'd like to apologize for the whiplash between the number the my number one of seven and Babe <laughs> the Pig. So if you're feeling uh, neck pains, consult a lawyer and uh, and contact Mac.
0: For that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Uh, uh, my next one I will mention empire records. Uh, just, just, uh, oh yeah. Just like, uh, I don't know if you want to call it like a slacker comedy, but you look at the people that were in that movie and they went on to bigger and better, better things shortly after that.
1: Oh that Empire Records was the Amer- oh, like I hate to call it this because it was the Breakfast Club of the American Pie of its day.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also think of like Dazed and Confused that it yeah. doesn't really have a plot, it's just like a series of events. Yeah. Uh my next honorable mention, I think a very underrated film as far as neo noir goes, uh, Devil in a Blue Dress with Denzel Washington.
1: Ooh. I have not seen that in years.
0: Mm-hmm. And just uh Uh, I can't think of the actress's name. She was in. um, uh, She was in. uh, Oh, what a feeling. Flashdance. Yeah. uh, The actress from Jennifer Beals. I believe Jennifer Beals. Yeah. Yeah. Just a great femme fatale in the tradition of Barbara Stanwyck and Lauren Bacall. Uh, My next honorable I will mention Friday with Ice Cube and Chris Tucker. Just one of the funniest comedies to come from the 1990s.
1: Mac, I'm going to tell you right now if you had paid me a million dollars to guess that you were going to say Friday, I would not have a million dollars. <laughs> I agree that that movie was way funnier than it had any right to be mm-hmm. and has aged very well for what it was a Dunstoner comedy. Mm-hmm. But I would not have panned that you would have chosen Friday. So good on you.
0: Yep, yep. Uh, and my last two I mentioned is very quickly, uh, Grumpy Old Men, just Walter Matthau, Jack Lemon, Burgess yeah. Meredith, just doing what they do best, just being absolute schmucks to each other.
1: I remember going to see that with my dad because we saw Grumpy Old Men, so we had to see the sequel. And I remember tearing up as a kid, or a young man, when uh, they went to the fishing spot and he uh Uh,
0: yeah that's exactly the same spot that i just started bawling at uh yeah
1: i i did i'm not gonna go into any more details but when they go to that fishing spot i I remember it being very i teared up that was a mm -hmm. that was a very impactful scene and my last honorable mention
0: probably still the greatest video game adaptation ever mortal kombat
1: I'm actually surprised I didn't make your top 10. <laughs> just
0: barely made my, just barely. It was like at the very top of my honorable mentions, but just because my top 10s were like the ones that I can actually stand by.
1: That's fair. All right. That's so
0: fair. now going into, going into my, the, the the top 10, number 10, In the Mouth of Madness directed by John Carpenter. As you said, the greatest Lovecraft movie ever made.
1: I Well, that just for fairness, I don't think it's the greatest, but it is so close. It's mm-hmm. probably number two, if not three, but yeah. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's so good. If you love Lovecraftian horror and you haven't seen this somehow, you have to do it. Mm-hmm.
0: It's so Just for cool. that amazing opening theme. It's, it's still one of my favorite John Carpenter themes
1: of all time. You know how you can tell it's not a nightmare? My favorite color is blue. <laughs> so good. All right. Number nine. Uh, t- here's another
0: whiplash for you. Number nine, Jumanji starring Robin Williams.
1: I'm serious. I'm going to consult my attorney. You, 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 in the mouth of madness to Jumanji. You know, it's weird. It's actually not that big of a whiplash because there's no way Jumanji is not a Lovecraftian horror. <laughs> it's just not. There's no way. That that movie is existentially terrifying.
0: Now, I remember the, the the scene where the, the they roll the, the the spiders come out of the board game. And I just remember screaming at That's the, top the one. of my lungs. <laughs> That's the one.
1: That's the one.
0: <laughs> i mean forget the forget the monkeys forget the mosquitoes forget the lion it was the spiders that just forget the white colonial
1: <laughs> male who's hunting a human <laughs> we're gonna forget that too
0: <laughs> yeah and actually there was a, a nice little uh i don't know what if you want to say metaphor or allegory but it's the fact that it's the same actor playing alan's father who was the hunter as well
1: yes yes i thought that was a little funny
0: uh, and uh, number eight, um, the fact that this movie is this low on my list means that you know just how good of a year 1995 was. My number eight is Toy Story.
1: Wow, yeah, it's not my, not really my cup of tea per se. I, uh, I, I aged out of cartoons uh, at a super young age. I admit, Toy Story is still a great, a great movie. But yeah, knowing you, it's impressive that it's this low.
0: Yeah we uh, on to number seven. Uh, thank you for bringing this movie up because I had to immediately put this on my list as soon as you mentioned it. <laughs> City of Lost Children, directed by Jean-Pierre Jeunet. I absolutely love his work. Delicatessen is one of my all-time favorite movies. And City of Lost Children, I would t- probably say, is a very close second place.
1: It's my favorite movie starring Ron Perlman. And I am a big fan of Hellboy. <laughs> Think about that. Like, I love this movie. Oh, yeah. Actually, my copy—I forgot to mention—my copy of *City of Lost Children* I have signed by Ron Perlman. Nice. Yeah.
0: All right, number six. Um, it's going to be seven from David Fincher, starring Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman.
1: You couldn't—you couldn't have made seven. Number seven <laughs> for the lulz. <laughs> that that,
0: that, that, <laughs> uh, that would—that would have been some eye rolls, you know, some some SMHS. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But still, yeah, uh, and Arlie Ermy, you know, the the stereotypical oh, drill sergeant so is actually good. good as the police chief.
1: I, I also love the only time in the entire movie I ever laugh is the scene where he sits down. At, this ain't
0: even my desk. He just
1: picks up the ring and phone. <laughs> this ain't even my desk. and just hangs up like it's just I love it. Yeah, no. <laughs> awesome. Also, I love another one to throw out there that people if you ever want to play Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon kind of st- uh, going on here is the head of the SWAT team in seven is dr cox from scrubs
0: oh and also uh one of the the johns from office space yes
1: yes good call
0: oh uh, yeah all right moving on to number five uh mall rats directed by kevin smith uh this is probably honestly my favorite kevin smith movie as far as comedies go that you can make a toss up between Mallrats or red state as far as his best film. But I, I had to go with Mallrats. It was, it was the porkies of my generation. It was that slacker teen comedy with a little bit of sex and drugs, but overall it's yeah. My favorite Kevin Smith comedy.
1: Uh, it's not my favorite Kevin Smith comedy. It's good. It's definitely prime. Kevin Smith. I have a whole mm-hmm. opinion. I, uh I, uh, Another YouTuber I, uh, I I enjoy watching. Unfortunately, he, he he nailed it so well. I have to kind of just bow down to it. You've got it. You nailed it. And he pointed out that like Smith kind of plateaued, and then besides Red State, he he doesn't like Red State. I I do think Red mm-hmm. State's good, but beyond Red State, he now is. It's a it's like Adam Sandler. He only makes movies for the people who already like his movies. So he never yeah. challenges himself, and and unfortunately, that means he doesn't really do anything new interesting or good um
0: yeah, that was that's what i thought when i saw yoga hosers it's yeah like, okay i
1: will say though yeah. like i am i just want to put this out there i am a big fan of tusk i think it's was really good and i did like red state um i think those are both good so i i think that he there's possibilities for that but for me that was prime uh mall was prime kevin smith i like dogma more and i like clerks more but Maul was still prime kevin smith
0: And it's the movie that showed me that Micah Rooker could be absolutely hilarious. Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I literally, I remember watching that and then like two weeks later watching Henry portrait of a serial killer. (laughs) (laughs) Talk about whiplash. (laughs)
0: Uh, All right. My number four, the usual suspects.
1: So, so good. So just the movie is Mm -hmm. it's the classic, the ending of the movie changes the movie.
0: Yes. Yep. It is the
1: definitive film of that. I would say
0: it's one of those endings. You absolutely do not see coming. Like you can't see it coming. It's like, no. And if you you
1: know the ending, ending. but don't, I I don't want to say don't watch the movie, but the movie's ruined. Mm -hmm. It's not like, Oh, Rosebud was a sleigh. That doesn't actually really affect citizen Kane. The way you think it was Mm -hmm. does. No, no, no. If you know the ending, the movie's ruined. Well, I gotta say ruined. It's just, not you're never gonna have the joy of somebody who didn't know that.
0: Nah, nah, yeah. If, if for all the people who say, like, oh, you know, people spoiled Last Jedi for me and it ruined. Like, no, that's not even the same ballpark. Like, if someone ruins the usual suspects for you, that's like a violation of the Geneva Convention as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> it's like, you should just be thrown in jail. That's
1: against movie law. <laughs> it was, yeah, i don't know who made movie law but it's in there (laughs) yep it's an article (laughs)
0: <laughs> All right, now we're at my top three, uh, the big ones. Uh, number three, you could probably say this is purely nostalgia over a very popular Nintendo 64 video game, but it's GoldenEye for James Bond.
1: <laughs> it's, not, like, it's not even a good Bond film. What are you doing?
0: <laughs> it's, uh. it's, part, part of it's the video game, and also part of it, too, uh, the stunt coordinator, Remy Julien. He recently yeah. passed away due to COVID, and so I kind of yeah. got that little bit of a soft spot for him as well.
1: But. That's fair. I shouldn't um, uh, by the way, Goldeneye is a good Bond film. I that mm-hmm. shouldn't have said that. But um, I'm a big Bond fan, so just for anybody who does like I'm a i take Bond my Bond film seriously. Uh, it is a good Bond film. It's not a great Bond film, it's just a good one.
0: But uh, and, uh, the people that became a game at this.
1: Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say the guy I actually think the game's better than the movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs>
0: I uh, got the uh, how many hours did we spend with friends playing the multiplayer like the four player split screen
1: <laughs> I never like, see uh, that's the thing I I didn't play much of the game but I def- the when I did play it I really did enjoy it so yeah mm-hmm. but yeah no uh this movie does have a a, a large number of great actors in it though as oh, most yeah. Bond Jim Cummings, Sean Bean, uh
0: Fonda I love, Jensen
1: I always <laughs> love pointing out that Sean Bean was a Bond villain. <laughs> yeah. People are like wait what? Yep. <laughs> I'm like it's golden like how do you you had to have seen GoldenEye. it's probably the most popular brosnan bond film
0: yep uh just uh i i have a soft spot for it just for the video game but the movie itself i i, I still find it quite enjoyable
1: yeah every year director, every year i claim i'm oh, go ahead, sorry.
0: Oh and directed by Martin Campbell, who would also go on to direct Casino Royale, the debut for Daniel Craig, so he's, he's got a good track record for bond films.
1: Oh yeah. I, uh, every year I say I'm going to sit down and like I take some vacation time and watch like over the course of a week, watch all the bond films and I never do it, <laughs> back to back to back. I'm, I just it's such an endeavor. But I'm yeah, going do it one of these years. Oh, yeah,
0: because <laughs> there are well, now like what 26, 27 films now.
1: I think there's 27 of them now. Yeah.
0: All right. So, um, top two. Uh, number yep. two, Heat, directed by Michael Mann. Because, of course, it's yep. just one of the great crime thrillers of the 90s. It's
1: so... It's the great crime thriller of the 90s. Mm-hmm. I just... It's so good. This, I'm probably going to go watch Heat after we're done recording now. <laughs> just, it's so good.
0: And I remember seeing that movie when it came out in theaters. And my dad and I heard the running time. Like, wait, this movie is over two and a half hours. And it's like we saw the movie... We didn't even feel it. Like, it just manages to keep a great pace that you don't feel yep. the two and a half hours. No
1: one complains about Heat's runtime. If no. he was, if, if they went, hey, we found a lost hour of Heat, everyone would go, okay, as soon as the theaters open back up, we're going to be in there. Yeah. Like, everyone would watch that. <laughs> and
0: it's my number one, because it has to be Casino is yeah. my number one film. Yeah.
1: It's amazing. I love
0: and probably one of the best cameos ever. Joe Bob Briggs as the, the idiot uh, who's in charge of the slot machines. <laughs>
1: that boy is as useless as tits on a boar. <laughs> I oh so good. Everything. Well, Don, I mean, sometimes people have to win. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Are you insulting my intelligence? Don, Don Rickles is in that movie <laughs> and he doesn't make one joke. No and that movie somehow is still amazing. Mm-hmm. If uh, there's like, what else do I can I say that Don Rickles is in your movie and you didn't have him make one joke and it's still good? Although I have to assume oh, as soon as the cameras were rolling, everybody was laughing. Rickles just ripping everyone apart It would have been amazing. <laughs> so no, uh, so yeah. such a such a good movie.
0: Oh uh, yeah, just uh, like I said, uh, Scorsese was unstoppable in the 1990s.
1: Yeah, unstoppable. Uh,
0: all right, so those were our selections for 1995. Uh, feel free to uh, let us know what your uh, selections are for that year. Uh, I think it's definitely probably one of the, the, the better years of cinema you could ask for.
1: Yeah, for uh, for all the guff that I've heard, it's, oh, 95 was a bad year, there weren't any good movies. No, not true at all. 95 was amazing.
0: Hmm. All right, so on that note, we're going to go ahead and sign off. This is Mackenzie Lambert.
1: And John Cleveland.
0: Have a good day, folks. Bye. And to close out the episode, is a special giveaway from Paramount Pictures. Now on digital, Freddie Highmore and Astrid Burgess Frisbee, with Famke Jansen, star in the action pack thriller The Vault. Buy or rent it today. A team of master thieves attempt to pull off the score of a lifetime by breaking into the world's most impenetrable vault to steal the legendary lost treasure locked inside. Buy or rent the vault tonight and bring the exhilarating adventure home. Rated R from Paramount Pictures. I'll have posts on Facebook and Twitter. All you have to do to enter the contest is like the posts. wants to double your chances? Tell me your favorite heist movie. I'll announce the winners on Facebook and Twitter on Good Friday, April 2nd. And that finishes this episode of Mac in the Movies. Thanks for listening. I will be taking my hiatus early this year. I am moving out of my current apartment in the next week and will be organizing my new place in April. I will have a new episode on the 1st Friday of May, May 7th. That will be my interview with director Josh Becker, the man at the helm of such films as Thou Shall Not Kill Except, Running Time and Alien Apocalypse. If you like this content and would like to see the pro- program grow, a one-time donation via PayPal or Venmo would be greatly appreciated. You can find me on social media at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I stream on Twitch. I'm still playing Wasteland 3 and Dead Island. Sundays are still Social Gaming Night with Jackbox. You can check out my schedule on my Twitch channel. Feel free to join me sometime. All of that in the description box below. Until next time, this is Mackenzie Lambert for mech in the Movies, signing off.